Hello and welcome to Pigurus. This is Jayanti. He who controls the past controls the future. He who controls the present controls the past. That line from George Orwell's dystopian novel 1984 perhaps best describes colonial distortions of Indian history and the consequent history wars that persist to this day. Our history has been so distorted by some historians, or should we say distorians, that entire generations of Hindus have internalized these distortions. These historians have no understanding of our culture, our languages, our traditions, our dharma, and yet present themselves as experts. Yet every once in a while, from the depths of darkness, emerges a beacon of light that shines upon the truth fearlessly. One such beacon is our guest, Dr. Lavanya Vemsani. Dr. Vemsani is an award-winning scholar and professor of history, specializing in Indian history and religions. She is a professor of history in the Department of Social Sciences at Shawnee State University. She holds not one, but two doctorates in the subjects of religious histories, religious studies, and history, which makes her exceptionally well-qualified to speak on these topics. She has won many awards throughout her career, starting with her dissertation and more recently, a Fulbright Award. She researches and publishes on ancient history and religions of India, as well as current history. She's also authored many books besides being the editor of several international journals. It is my absolute privilege to welcome Dr. Vamsani today. Welcome, Dr. Vamsani. Namaste, Jayanti. Uh, thank you uh, for the great uh, introduction, uh, sweet uh, and nice. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to start with your PhDs, not one, but two in history and religion. That is just extraordinary. India's history um, and religion are deeply intertwined and your background is just perfect. Could you talk to us a little bit about your journey? Uh, certainly. Um, as, as you mentioned, uh, both history and religion um, uh, is deeply intertwined. Uh, I didn't plan to get two PhDs, but, but that's what uh, made me get two PhDs. <laughs> My first PhD is in history, uh, studying you know mainly objects and you know settlement patterns, how these early people lived. It's ancient history. Then uh, it felt like something is missing. Something is missing from this story. We are looking at these objects, but we don't know really uh, what it was. Um, the story is missing, right? Where is this? This is in literary sources. Uh, and we have contemporary literary sources that we can uh, examine. So that's what brings me to religious studies. Religious studies allows me to read the text and understand history. So I did religious studies, which is history of religion. So the history of religion History of objects, both of them, when they are put together, they'll give us a complete history. So what we're doing exactly. right now is very incomplete and twisted history, especially for India. It's a completely twisted history. It's not even history. You know, calling it history is um, appalling. <laughs> so what we have in place of history is, you know, just myth making. Yes, yes. 
absolutely right well said <laughs> that is um dis distortions that are being pushed like propaganda and standing up for the truth of course is um a challenge in an atmosphere of propaganda and in fact you have been bullied and attacked repeatedly You've received death threats there have been repeated attempts to silence you by other academics they've tried to call for boycotts what does it take to speak the truth in a hostile atmosphere um i mean what is it like to be in the trenches of truth as it were right um it is difficult as you said i i faced all kinds of uh, bullying uh, online and offline uh, the strange thing is in this world online threats uh, email threats or twitter threats all these threats uh, happen to everyone but in my case it just did not happen just on the online forums it also happened on academic forum uh, so the yeah. academics themselves are attacking uh, and they were giving the labels so which which is very difficult um yes. but you know the 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 work is important uh, we if we don't uh, write our history who is going to write our history who is going to understand our history who is going to talk about it so yes. so it's it's a struggle uh but uh, i have dedicated myself uh, to bringing out the true history uh, so yeah. so yeah. thank you yeah, for and... support uh, there 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 are friends like you who support uh, there are um, many who support me yeah. uh, of course thank there you. are bully, bullyers and attackers but you know i also have good friends who support my work yeah no i mean thank you thank you for doing this selflessly because this is not it's much it this level of bullying that you have faced um and people who try to challenge uh the propaganda narratives that they that they face is nothing short of often career destroying it takes incredible courage to do this so um it's it's sad that it's not well known that uh, for instance that you received death threats or that um the kind of intimidation that you face regularly um but um you know i mean it's it takes a special person to do this so um i would like to talk about um a book that you wrote recently is an amazing book in fact yesterday was narsimha jayanti and um you wrote this amazing book recently called hinduism in middle india and narsimha the lord of the middle um in this book you discuss uh, the historical symbolism of narsimha and show us that hinduism is indigenous to india and it's historically embedded and you also debunk the aryan invasion theory could you just touch upon this a little bit briefly okay <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, a lot it's, it's difficult it's a, to, yeah it's long yeah, we, uh, it's a book it's a book right you know i have to right so i mean just uh, like a trailer so then we can unpack it later maybe in another show right so i'll i'll just give the basic points um so narasimha is the symbol of the middle uh, so as a symbol of the middle uh, he is the fourth uh, incarnation as well as he is also uh, connected to the geography in the middle india so the central india is you know not south not north it's peninsular india it's the indian plateau but uh, it's in the middle so so you would see lot of narasimha temples and uh, lots of arjun temples and arjun spots associated uh with narasimha in uh, middle uh, india so andhra pradesh orissa telangana maharashtra and karnataka so so the 
the plateau states. So uh, I examined all these states uh, and the stories from these states. So the main origin story actually places Narasimha in Ahobila. So the region, the 100 kilometers around this region uh, is like the Leela Stali of Narasimha. So lots of his uh, in incarnation, deeds, uh, everything is placed in this area. But this area is also important for uh, Paleolithic history. The mm -hmm. Paleolithic uh, caves are discovered here. Paleolithic uh, historical hand axes were discovered here. Uh, actually, 74,000 years ago, there was this uh, Toba volcano eruption, right? So it actually mm -hmm. put uh, ash across uh, India and the hand axes were found within the ash uh, in a town called Jwalapuram. The Jwala is fire, right? So yes. the fireplace. So, <laughs> so there is this fire, ash, and then, you know, the Jwalapuram. So when you look at Narasimha's incarnation and Narasimha's story, it actually brings out all these ideas to my, all these ideas are actually preserved in the story. So, so it's actually like the Kala, you know, Narasimha is like the Kala uh, and then uh, the, the destruction and everything that happened at the time was, you know, this fire, it's like the Badawanalam, you know, the under uh, ocean fire. Mm. So all that. So it's, it, it resembles this idea of this, uh, Kalanta, so so the end of time, yeah. so the end of time and the Narasimha incarnation, and then the Paleolithic times actually preserve this end of time. Uh, after the Toba volcano eruption, only a small group of people survived, and then from there we have the modern non-African population uh, across the world. So so the memory uh, of uh, this big uh, calamitous event is preserved in the stories. And there is also another coincidental event. Uh, the, the tribal groups that uh, reside in this area, the Chenchus, practice many of the Paleolithic uh, practices, Paleolithic and Mesolithic practices. They still use uh, Paleolithic e equipment, fishing hooks. So there is a study that was done uh, by one of the archeologists come anthropologists um, correlating between their lifestyle and uh, how it actually is very similar to the lifestyles of Paleolithic era. So this shows there is a population group that is continuing from Paleolithic era. The story also has the Paleolithic symbolism, the calamitous event symbolism in the story, embedded in the story. And the, the idea, the concept of the God itself is the middle, right? It shows the mm -hmm. mixture of uh, different yeah. things so 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 it shows this indigenous origin indigenous ideas indigenous people uh, if it if this story of incarnation is brought from somewhere outside it wouldn't be uh, memorializing many of the events or practices that you can find in the regional area right such resemblances cannot be found in the story uh, so, so this this shows it was indigenous. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. actually that you mentioned Jwalapuram. That just uh, reminded me of one of the most uh, you know powerful shlokas uh, for uh, Narsima Ugram Vira yeah. Mahavishnu Jwalantam Sarvato Mukham. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I wonder if that's uh, you know memorializing. It reminds you that. of the calamitous event, right? Yeah, so the calamitous event itself is the god. 
that helped revive the creation yes yes that that <laughs> might work <well> be <laughs> that is amazing yeah yeah so so the references are in the puranas in the vedas in in everything so 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 the so the objects and understanding is in the culture the practices are in the culture and then the ideas are in the text when we bring yes. them together then we understand the whole picture yes yes exactly so this sort of um isolated analysis gives us distorted results and not to mention the colonial uh propaganda of aryan dravidian which right. is trying to say that hinduism is not indigenous to india and uh you know the dravidians uh were pushed out um it's just caused so much division for instance in tamil nadu the political fortunes literally have been right. built on this uh, hateful divisive ideology which basically pits hindus one against the other right so right. it's very and exciting to somebody actually yeah. wrote you know on narasimha narasimha was used to uh, hinduize uh, tribals <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, yeah i mean they come up with these bizarre um you know positions really <laughs> as if tribals don't know you know the tribals already have their practices and they 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 protected the temple for centuries yeah Yes. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, and as in the tribals and the, the other people are different, you know. Yes. Yes. And and even uh, years ago over 75,000 years ago, you know, they they are all same. Yes, I mean that's that but is that is the position that they want to push that they were different and someone else came that they were invaders. Um even with Kantara the Varaha Roopam is quite clear. yet they tried to position that again with the controversy but that is in, indeed part of their play that they want to uh indicate that um there you know hinduism came with invaders it is not a religion of of the people the people of india or not the people of india in fact it brings me to one of the tweets that i wanted to discuss you which you uh where you referenced uh you said um why did they create these narratives aryan invasions hinduism is not a religion epics or oppression narratives Aryan versus Dravidians, caste versus race, and uh, Mughals and Sultans are so Indian, and Indians are not Indians because, well, Aryans. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, that would be. I mean, we, that would. Yeah, could you discuss that that tweet? <laughs> that that is strange, right? You know, we we yeah. we are here uh, forever, right. uh, and uh, they tell us we are not Indians, but they tell everybody else is Indians. the moguls and yes. you know everybody that came were, were indians and contributed to indian culture uh, but yes. we are not indians we haven't contributed to indian culture we are yes. we are a we are the oppressors where, where was yes. the oppression there is no you know there is no evidence they they have no answer and this aryan dravidian uh, theory is so um, artificial it has no basis even the linguistic evidence that they show is so uh, bizarre uh, doesn't yes. even make sense and they have to make this word aryan uh, they have to make it into an artificial word uh, we had no, what was the concept of race 5000 years ago you know there, exactly. there was no idea of race built into the books right. uh, the, the aryan is an artificially constructed word arya is the word for respect uh, and the yes. 
evidence used to construct this word Aryan is so artificial. And then uh, the, the lang language theory is also very basic, very, very, yeah. very bizarre. Uh, and this yeah. theory survived this long, actually is the, is the concern from the West rather than us. As far as yeah. India is concerned, Indian languages are Indian languages. Indians are Indians. We have yeah. no other uh, source. There is no evidence of any other source, no evidence of anybody coming into India, no mm -hmm. evidence of any languages coming into India. The, the right. spread of languages through force, occupations, conquests is also a Western theory. In Asia, mm -hmm. Africa, you don't find that anywhere. Uh, Chinese languages, Chinese dialects have spread. Uh, Bantu languages have spread throughout Africa, no occupations. Mm -hmm. Indian languages share. Um, she, large amount of vocabulary. Uh, Sanskrit vocabulary is actually the root vocabulary for all the languages of India. We share, even, right. uh, even Tamil uh, the shares 60% of its vocabulary with Tamil. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Telugu and Kannada, you already know, they, yeah. they are 80%, more than 80%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Malayalam, Malayalam is, you know, yeah. 90%. <laughs> <laughs> Malayalam yes. Sanskrit derived, you know, language. Yeah, so, exactly. um, so where is this theory? Where is this Dravidian? If Dravidian languages are independent, why do they have more than you know 80% uh, Sanskrit in them? If the, if you take out 80%, there is nothing, right? What kind of language is, uh, survives with 20% uh, words? Yeah. So yeah, and, I, and I, as yes, far back as it goes, there is, there is no evidence. There is no evidence of people coming. Uh, and as I already spoke about my uh, paper on genetic history. Genetic history doesn't show any people arriving anywhere. And uh, the languages, you know, bizarre uh, theory really don't make, don't uh, stand any examination. Closer examination makes it fall, uh, fall to nothing. Right, right. And this race theory, which you mentioned, um, that was a popular tool for the colonizer. In fact, they employed a similar theory wherever they went, um, and including in Africa. Well, a lot of people don't realize this. They think that, oh, Aryan Dravidian, it's just something very scientific they came up with. No, they came up with the same sort of nonsensical race theory that there's a you know, light-skinned invaders from came from somewhere else, and there was the dark-skinned people who were oppressed. Same thing happened with, which uh, caused, in fact, a genocide in many parts of Africa. The Hutus and Tutsis, yeah. um, they literally had, were. This was a consequence of this their version of the Aryan Dravidian theory. So, right. um, it's very dangerous, really. It it's, um, right. creates so much hate and right. bigotry, and it has to be called out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They used the same theory everywhere. So anywhere they conquered, the basic theory is uh, light-skinned people came from north uh, and yes. occupied and oppressed the darker-skinned uh, southern people. So the theory yes. doesn't change. It's always the light-skinned yeah. versus the dark-skinned. Uh, and we don't see that outlay in India, uh, but still they use it. And they're so right. confused, they use it for uh, many purposes. They, they say it is caste, you know, the upper caste versus lower caste, uh, but it doesn't work. And they say it's North India versus South India because of the language difference. But uh, where is the difference? The North India right. versus South India, the languages are so similar. Right. 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 The, the, it's the, the similarity that stands out. But, you know, the similarity is so easily noticeable. 
Yes. Yes. If the languages yeah, are so different, why would they have 80% similarity, right? European yeah. languages, they say European languages are so similar, but they share only 60% similarity. Yeah. South Indian Even languages share more than that. Yeah. So they should be cognate it, languages. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there may be differences, but the cultural continuity is so visible and, and the idioms even that we use, um, in fact, it just highlights the cultural continuity rather than even if there were two language uh, groups that came out of this land, it's a large geographical area. So um, there's no reason why we couldn't have um, a lot of development that happened because it's been continuously inhabited for so long. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's, um, that's the point, right? You know, we can have two languages or hundred languages. There is the cultural similarity, and a shared yes. language and shared culture. Exactly. The languages are also, you know, so shared. That's the point. Yeah. yeah of course, we yeah. might differ, we might evolve, but you know, we all have uh, considerable similarities. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and and the curious thing is, while they deny the indigeneity of the people, the of the culture and of the languages and of the people. There is this, you know, a simultaneous effort to whitewash Islamic invasions uh, right. that you pointed out in the tweet and to deny the colonizing nature of Islamic rule because apparently the invaders became settlers. But isn't that uh, in fact settler colonialism? I mean, they didn't assimilate uh, or adopt the local religion, language, scripts, or beliefs. The religion of the state was Islam. The language of the court was Persian. They used an Arabic script. Um, it was very representative Islamic rule of settler colonialism that occurred in the Americas or, say, South Africa. I mean, how is this different? Right. Um, colonialism in India was not very clearly understood, uh, not very clearly studied. Uh, colonialism actually comes with certain features. The features are foreign language, foreign culture, foreign dress, foreign systems of administration, in addition to economic exploitation. All these right. five features are found in uh, Islamic rule in India. Uh, there, exactly. was, there was this administration, foreign administration imposed on the people, foreign language, dress and code imposed on the people, foreign culture and religion imposed on the people. They were forced to convert. Uh, foreign uh, administration and legal code is also imposed. Uh, the language that people did, did not know, people uh, have to speak it. And right. uh, the, the wars were declared uh, unilaterally. So the colonialism uh, always comes with the unilateral declaration of wars. So, so somehow the natives are wrong, they are doing everything wrong, and then a war is declared on the natives. And it is yes. declared always from the invader side. And the invaders yes. find everything wrong with the native culture. So that's what happened when India was occupied. So right. everything that is within India uh, is deemed to be uh, unnecessary or um, not worthy of uh, respect. Uh, anytime yes. you read any invaders, if you read Al-Hind, Al-Hind, he actually directly says these people are so silly uh, their their deities their religion their food everything is so silly it's not just yes. um, yeah it's not just alhind it's not just the author that is talking there he was actually representing the cultural understanding of india of indians that was prevalent in that time among themselves at that time right. so this shows right. they were really invaders uh, they were occupying and they know in their mind that the, they are different. These different people have to be oppressed and changed. Uh, 
they have right. that in their uh, administrative policies if it's not oppressive why would the taxes be increased to 50% why would they have these slave markets why would yes. they lynch the people who could not pay their taxes why would they ask yeah. people to convert uh, why would they yeah. have all these uh, slaves the last yeah. slave market in uh, delhi was actually closed by akbar uh, in 1560s or something so so slave markets flourished between the 13th 12th century actually 12th century yes. to uh, yeah so 1560 so so how can this be uh, useful or uh, not colonizing tendency this is this yes. is equally colonizing it should be called uh, settler colonizer uh, colonialism yes. yes absolutely i think that that language really needs to be changed it and yeah i mean just because a lot of people are in this this sort of delusion that uh, it's only european uh, western colonization and in, and in fact the whole slavery part that you alluded to as well um we were um you know there was incredible enslavement of hindus it is simply not discussed um you know when you talk about slavery um and um, in fact the arab slave trade is older and longer running than um the transatlantic slave trade and um in india of course um the slave markets were very active and i think you once mentioned that uh, multan was one of the Multan's most largest uh, slave market yeah yeah and um so the that's something slave again market of the world <laughs> yeah yeah so so, so yeah, how I'm many so, of our indians might have been uh, enslaved between 12th century to 16th century yeah yeah and while there's all the discussion about slavery in the west there is almost, there's literally no recognition even of this sort of massive enslavement that took place and uh, when you have enslavement when you have jizya when you have you know people being forced converted or um killed um called kafirs basically it bears all the hallmarks of a colonizer like you said um they fundamentally thought that the religion of the natives was backward and savage so just like every other colonizer so how is that different <laughs> they said as much they said as much they they wrote it in their books they they were not ashamed of what they were doing they were yes. proud of what they were doing you know the historians were not willing to admit it but they were willing to admit it and they were willing to uh, happily say it yeah they they've left you know dozens and dozens and dozens of books <laughs> dozens and dozens 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 of much more than that explaining yeah. in great detail uh, mm -hmm. what they thought mm -hmm. and so we don't have to uh, venture to guess because they're quite clear about it um and and it's yet it gets whitewashed and we get gaslit that nothing happened and how dare you speak of this mm -hmm. so um so that i was really thankful that you, know, you brought Malik, that up malikafur's raids you know he went uh, three raids to south um, so all of the raids he recorded very carefully uh, the 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 people he got enslaved you know imprisoned people and then uh, the the diamonds and necklaces gold he took uh, from srirangam temple from uh, uh varangal you know that chandi temple uh, so everything is documented it's not like you know it's not there it it is clearly well documented yeah 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 and and when 
the truth is sort of uh, suffocated and uh, we are offered a distorted version. It, it um, skews the way we understand ourselves and our culture. And uh, that's, that's what we're facing today. And uh, that's why we need to unearth that, which I, I really applaud the work that you're doing with unearthing and drawing the connections. One of the things that uh, I find most inspiring about your work is your ability. I mean, well, first of all, your knowledge is broad and deep and you have a cultural understanding which makes it possible for you to see the larger picture and to connect the dots and uh, not uh, sort of uh, distorted uh, explanations that and bizarre explanations that they often come up with. So I really thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bimsani. I, I uh, can't thank you enough. There is just so much to unpack here and I hope we can continue these conversations in much greater detail in the future because uh, there is such a dire need for fact-based history and uh, we're just so glad you're here to enlighten us thank you jayanti uh, thank yeah. you and uh, anytime yeah and, and um, finally um, we must never forget that colonial consciousness continues to damage our examination of indian history and culture the denial and distortion of Indian history destroys our very understanding of ourselves. To quote George Orwell again, the most effective way to destroy a people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. However, with brave hearts like Dr. Ramsani, who is no doubt empowered by Narasimha himself, we hope to see the deconstruction of this information and the emergence of truth. Thank you again, Dr. Pemsani. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.